morning. Uh, next Sunday is the Super Bowl, all right? So, um, and so we want to invite you back uh, for Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. And um, it's uh, be a great day. And uh, it is a, a really a great day to uh, invite people to church. And so one of the things I want to pray for is uh, I want to pray for openings and that we would be uh, kind of thoughtful and aware of uh, God making an opening maybe for an invitation uh, to come to Easter service so people can hear um, about this kind of uh, this life-changing news that, that we have and we celebrate. So let's pray, and then we'll get into today, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you uh, for his death, burial, and resurrection, and uh, we celebrate that um, daily as, as, as believers, but um, next Sunday is the day that our calendar gets set aside to really remind ourselves of the power of the resurrection and the power of, of your death and burial as well uh, in light of the resurrection. So uh, we just pray that next Sunday would be a great day and that we'd celebrate, um, eat great food, spend time together, uh, and celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, uh, now my family uh, had the opportunity to uh, travel to New Orleans uh, to officiate a wedding for a former student of mine. And uh, I, loved, uh, I loved being in New Orleans. I know that city kind of has a little bit of a reputation, uh, but I loved it, and, and specifically, I love the bread. All right, the, the bread was just dynamite in, in that town. So with the very first day that we got there, we went to this kind of famous shop, and uh, we got a sandwich, you've all heard of it, called Po' Boy, and uh, got it with fried shrimp, lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, and, and it was French bread. You could put anything on the French bread and it would have been good, um, but we got, we got shrimp and all of that stuff. It was really, really good. And then the next morning, uh, we went and we got these uh, uh, deep fried donuts, basically uh, beignets. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we were done with that trip, whenever anybody would ask Sam uh, a, couple, a couple years ago now, but whenever they'd ask him about how was the trip, he said, we went to New Orleans and we celebrated donuts, right? And I said, that's actually kind of a good way to, to celebrate that. And then uh, the next morning after that, we got these flaky buttery croissants with almonds and chocolate. And then the last day we had this muffaletta sandwich, uh, circular piece of bread filled with salami, ham, cheese, and all heavenly good things. And um, it was a fun trip. It was a delicious trip. That's how I've described uh, New Orleans. And we did the wedding and all of that, but it was just a delicious trip. And it was all because of bread. I, I want to thank bread this morning. All right. So, and bread is an interesting thing. It, it is because bread can sustain, can sustain you. Uh, it can fill you up when you're a little bit hungry. Uh, bread in third world countries is a precious commodity. They're, they're looking for bread. It can satisfy a craving. I don't know if you've ever been like on a South Beach or an Atkins diet. The first piece of bread you have after you break that diet is the best piece of bread you've eaten in your entire life, right? Uh, bread can be a treat, right? You put a little bit of butter on a piece of banana bread and it's like dessert, right? As a matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it, we kind of gave up uh, sweets and dessert uh, for, Lent, for Lent season. Cheryl and I did, and I don't think banana bread counts as dessert, does it? It's like dessert, but it's not actually dessert. All right, so right, just processing here. But um, bread can enhance a meal. My son loves going to Olive Garden for the 
Yeah, for the breadsticks. Actually, a couple days ago, I exposed him to Fazoli's for the first time. He was like, I think these might be better than Olive Garden's. I said, well, I don't know about that, but they, they were really good. And so bread, bread is an interesting thing. It plays a dominant role in our lives, and it actually plays a dominant role in the story of the Bible and the story of Easter. So uh, today, uh, we're talking about the sound of bread. And, uh, you know, I was joking around last week about what is the sound of bread? It's like, oh, bread, you know. That's, no, it's not. This was unleavened bread that we're going to get to eventually, and Jesus would break it and it'd be like a cracker snapping, you know. It's the sound of bread, and it plays a dominant role in, in, our, in our sermon today and in our story. So I want to get us where we need to be. I want to tell you three stories this morning about bread. I'm fascinated by it, all right? So uh, three biblical stories about bread, and then we're going to make some points, and all of this is going to lead up to... Uh, to our time of communion together, all right? And we're, we're gonna receive the Lord's Supper. But uh, the first story goes all the way back to Exodus uh, chapter 16. And in this story, God's people had been released from their slavery. They'd been in slavery in Egypt for many, many years. They were released from their slavery and they entered into the desert to go to the promised land. And they got out into the desert and they were hot, they were hungry, they were tired. And immediately they began to grumble about the time in the desert, even though they really just gotten there. And they said, listen to what they said. They said, only we had died in Egypt. There we had pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve to the assembly of the death. And so they're complaining, they're hungry, they're tired, they're in the desert. Uh, I probably wouldn't have liked it either, and and you wouldn't have either. Uh, But God does something extraordinary. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed you in the desert. So what I want you to do is when you exit your tent in the morning, you are going to find uh, this bread all over the ground, uh, this bread from heaven, um, and I want you to collect as much as you can for the day. Just, just take it for the day, and then the next morning, I'm going to do it again. And the only exception was Sabbath, where you could collect for two days. But if they collected any more than what they needed for the day, it would spoil. So he says, I want this to be a daily reminder to you. So every day you get up, you exit your tent, and there's going to be this manna. You know how it got the name manna? Because right, the first thing they said when they saw it, they like, what is it? So they started calling it, what is it, bread? That's kind of how you could translate manna is, what is it, bread? And it would be on the ground. You collect it for the day. And then the next day, it'll happen again and again and again. And so this is exactly what the people did. And God began to provide for them daily. And here's truth number one about bread. God is going to take care of your needs. God is going to take care of your needs. He is going to provide you your daily bread. And this story about the manna from heaven, this story about the bread from heaven, it became so important to the people of Israel. They told this story in their writings. They wrote songs about this story. They encouraged each other with this story. As a matter of fact, later on, Jesus would be teaching his disciples how to pray. And one of the things he would teach them is, ask God for his daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And it's in reference to this story. It's a reminder that every day, every single day, I'm reliant on God for my daily bread and my, uh, and my daily needs. And the other way that this story found its way amongst the ancient rabbis is they used to say that someday the Messiah is going to come. And someday the Savior is going to come. And here's what they said. When he comes, he's going to replicate this miracle. It's how you will know the Savior is here. So, so he's going to replicate this mar- He's going to replicate the miracle of the manna. He's going to replicate the miracle of the daily bread, and then you'll know he's your savior, and you'll know he's your Messiah. And that brings me to story number two. 
A few thousand years later, Jesus is on the scene and he's already been teaching and doing miracles and doing healings and all this stuff. And he crosses the Sea of Galilee and he goes up to this mountainside. And I think he intends just to do a short little message with just his disciples, to spend a little bit of time with them. But this huge crowd follows him there. There's 5,000 men plus women and children, the Bible says. And Jesus engages in a bunch of teaching. And he says to his disciples, go buy some bread to feed these people. Like maybe upwards of 15,000 people. And go buy buy enough bread to feed these people. And Philip said, man, Jesus, the nearest grocery store is miles away. Loose translation. Um, And even if there was a grocery store, eight months salary would not buy enough bread to feed this crowd. So and so what are we going to do? So Andrew finds this little boy and he's got five barley loaves and two small fishes and he brings them to Jesus, right? And Jesus blesses them and he ends up feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with five barley loaves and two small fish. And at the end of this miracle, look at what, look at what is said. It says, after the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. They say about Jesus, he is the new Moses. He is the new savior. He is the prophet. He is replicating the manna from heaven. He is replicating this miracle. He must be the savior. He, he, he must be our Lord. He must, he must be all of that. And so the Bible actually says after this particular miracle, they intend to make Jesus a king by force. Because Jesus is doing exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. He is replicating the miracle in the desert. It's like, he's the savior. Let's make him a king. Let's force him to be king. And Jesus withdraws from that. And then the very next chapter, he's doing a little teaching. And he says this, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread, of hev- for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give it, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Jesus says, you've misunderstood the illustration. You thought the Messiah was going to come and be the new Moses. No, the Messiah is not going to come and be the new Moses. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the bread. They misunderstood. Jesus wasn't the new Moses. In some ways he was, but Jesus wasn't the new Moses in this story. Jesus was the manna from heaven. Jesus was the bread that came down. Jesus was the bread that was going to give life to to them. And here's truth number two. While it's true that God takes care of our daily physical needs, that's absolutely true. Here's the truth. The dominant way God has ensured that we will be taken care of is through Jesus. So while it is true that God cares for our daily needs, the dominant way we are to understand this, the dominant way God has a desire to take care of us is through Jesus. Jesus. And the question becomes, how on earth does that happen? And I am, thank you so much for asking. You guys are on top of this today, right? Because right, that leads me to story number three. All right? So story number one is the manna from heaven. Story number two is Jesus replicating the miracle and teaching, I am the bread. I'm not the Moses character in that story. I'm the bread. I've come down from heaven to bring you life. And then here is story number three. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross just a few days before. He's sharing in the Passover meal with his disciples. And he says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink of, uh, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And hear the sound of the breaking of the bread. He broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Jesus, during the last supper before his crucifixion, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body. And this leads us to the most important truth of the sermon. One of the ways that God has ensured that we're taken care of is through the physical body and the physical blood of Jesus, right? So truth number one is that God has the desire to take care of your needs. Truth number two is that the dominant way he wants to take care of your needs is through Jesus. And truth number three is that the primary way he's gonna take care of our needs is through his physical body and his physical blood, right? And so how exactly does Jesus accomplish this? And and I wanna work through a a few points with you, right? First of all, his physical body is our example, right? His body is our example. So one of the things that we talk a lot about Jesus is that he was fully God, and he was. He was, you know, kind of God in human flesh, uh, if you want to be kind of flippant about it, which, you know, you maybe don't want to be, but God in a bod, right? That's the way to think about it, God in a body. And, and he, he was exactly that. And we talk a lot about that, about Jesus, the God man. One of the things that we don't talk as much about is that Jesus was also fully human. He was fully God and fully human. And so one of the things that we learn in Jesus is we learn how to live in these things called bodies, we learn what it means in the example of Jesus, what it means to be fully engaged as human beings. You just have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study the life of Jesus, and you will learn what a fully engaged human looks like. Jesus teaches us how to be human. So if you were going to study his life, a few life lessons from the life of Jesus are, are these, right? Sometimes you need to take a nap. Amen? Right? Jesus teaches us this, that in these fleshly kind of human bodies, sometimes we get tired and sometimes we get worn out and you should sleep. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift, right? <laughs> you should sleep. You should take an afternoon nap. That's truth number one. Another one is true, choose a group of people to go through life with. That Jesus had a group of 12 and then later on we lead that, learn that he had three really unique close friends. So we learn this from Jesus. Go through life with a crew. Have a group that you go with. Next truth, enjoy good food. Right, amen? Jesus, we have multiple examples of Jesus having a dinner party with someone. Jesus celebrating. That's why I love, I don't kind of get all rankled about these, ce- these special celebrations like Christmas and Easter. It's like, no, Jesus celebrated. He had a good time. Celebrate his birthday. Celebrate his resurrection. Have people over. Bake a ham. It's good. It's blessed. I know what I'm doing next Sunday, and it's called eating cake for the first time in a month, (laughs) right? And I will eat cake before I eat anything else, right? I'm just going to, I told Cheryl, I'm going to set the alarm at the same time Jesus woke up Easter morning, and I'm going to emerge from my grave, and I'm going to behold the cake, right? So I said, don't be surprised if you find me downstairs, you know, enjoy good food. It's from Jesus. When you are tempted, and you will be tempted, rely on God's word. 
right? Jesus was fully God. He was also fully human. He was tempted in every way that we are, the Bible says. But when he was tempted, he quoted scripture. He, rem- he, he quoted God's word. He relied on it to help him overcome the temptation. Another thing we learn from Jesus is live a life of grace. Don't walk around in bitterness and anger. Live a life of grace, live a life of forgiveness, live a life of kindness. These are all things Jesus teaches us. He is our example of how to live in these bodies, how to be fully human. So Jesus is our example. His body, his physical body is our sacrifice. So he's our example. He's also our sacrifice, that Jesus was the perfect, blameless son of God. He was God in human form. And so there's an idea I want to teach you. If you regularly attend here, I bring this up probably every other month or so. But the idea of it is substitutionary atonement. That the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence of sin. The Bible also says all have sinned. And by all, he means all have sinned, all right? All of us as human beings have sinned. Jesus is the only perfect man, right? He he never sinned, but the rest of us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the Bible teaches that God has allowed a way for a substitute, right? Worst substitute job ever, right? You think you're substituting job hard? This is even worse, right? Substitute, God would allow for a substitute to die in your place, And so in the Old Testament, this would be like a lamb or a couple birds or whatever. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is walking through the area. John the Baptist is preaching. And in the middle of the sermon, John stops. He says, look, everybody look. There's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John recognizes that Jesus is our substitutionary atonement for all people. Now, Jesus came for all people, not just for Jews, for all people through all time, right? And he is our perfect sacrifice. So he takes our place so that he dies and we don't have to. We can live now and we can live in eternity. We're going to live forever because of the work of Jesus. Let me show you what this looked like. This is a long scripture. But we're leading up to Easter and I want to share it with you. This is what that substitutionary atonement looked like in the life of Jesus. He says, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon the Cyrene, who was on his way uh, from the country, and put, uh, the, they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also uh, led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, extraordinary statement here. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they, were, what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews, just mocking him. One of the criminals who was there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? You're, another, you're about to die. 
We are punished justly for, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight uh, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. That is what substitutionary atonement looks like. That is what a loving, graceful savior who said, I'm not just gonna be your example, although I'm gonna be your example. I'm gonna be your savior. I'm gonna forgive your sin. I'm gonna make you right with God in this life and the next. I'm gonna take your place. The wages of your sin is death. I'm gonna take your place. This is what that looks like. And he went to a cross as the perfect, spotless lamb of God. He went to the cross and he died. He died so that we could have life today and forevermore. And that's the last point I wanna make is his resurrected body is our hope. His physical body is our example. His physical body uh, is our salvation. His resurrected body is our hope because the story doesn't end with his death. He was resurrected to new life so that those that are facing hardship and death and disease, they could remember that these human bodies are not the end of all things. These bodies, the apostle Paul said, these bodies are clothed perishable. They are raised imperishable. So let's talk a little bit about Jesus, our resurrected body, Jesus' resurrected body being our hope. What does a resurrected body do? What, what, is, what is a resurrected body like? And we don't have tons of scripture that describe this other than like Paul's scripture that says they're imperishable. They're, they're, they're sown uh, in weakness, that these bodies are weak, they are raised in power. We're, we're told some of those things. But the best example we have of a resurrected body is Jesus when he resurrected from the dead and he kind of appeared to people over the course of several days. And here's some of the things we know about his resurrected body. We know that he could enter closed rooms, which is a minor point, but cool nonetheless, right? There, there's a scripture in uh, John, it says, when, uh, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the, the text goes out of this way, and the doors were shut and the disciples were hiding there for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. <laughs> I love it. Right? They're all in there scared, you know, and all of a sudden Jesus appears and says, peace. And I don't know that they felt peace in that moment. You know, I think it's like, no, we saw you die, right? Peace be with you. So he's able to enter closed rooms, which there is no real relevance, but just cool. He was able to disappear, right? We know with the guys on the road to Emmaus, he says, and it came about that he reclined at the table with them. He's traveling with these guys after the resurrection and they stopped to have a meal. They don't recognize Jesus. And then he took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he began to give it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then the text says this, he vanished from their sight. So they had walked with him for several miles talking, interacting with Jesus. They didn't recognize him. So there was something different about his resurrected body. They didn't recognize him. And then he broke the bread. Their eyes were opened. And Jesus is like, I'm out of here. And he disappears, right? So we know his resurrected body uh, was able to do that. We know he ate food, which I am so grateful for, right? 
on at least one account, and no calories to this food at all. It's amazing. I think that's in the King James. But um, on at least one occasion, Jesus shared a meal in his resurrected state. So we know he ate food, and we know that in heaven, it's described as like the banquet table of the king. We know this is interesting, because in our human bodies, I just affirmed to you, take a nap. If you start to get tired, take a nap. In Jesus' resurrected body, it doesn't appear that he ever needed rest. There is no story after Jesus' resurrection where he appears uh, to sleep or he appears to need rest. He just keeps going and going. And so that would be kind of cool if you're living in a perfect place to never need rest. And then we know he ascended into heaven. His resurrected body ascended into heaven where he is preparing a place for us now. So I've told uh, this story before, but um, it really amuses me that uh, several years ago, um, th- this conversation amused me, not the situation, but several years ago, um, a woman in our church um, had passed away kind of suddenly, even though she was a little bit older. Uh, she passed away suddenly. I went to her nursing home, and there was a group of women standing outside of her nursing home, and they were all kind of talking um, about the woman that had passed away, and I kind of joined in the conversation. And one of the older women, uh, she, she was easily in her 80s, and she turned to me and she said, I can't wait for my 33-year-old body. And uh, she said it a couple times. And uh, I was there, and I'll bite. What what do you mean? And she said, well, I grew up Baptist. And she said, my Baptist preacher taught me that Jesus went to heaven when he was 33. So when we get to heaven, we're all going to be 33. I said, I'll take it. I like it, (laughs) right? It's, you know, there's absolutely no biblical evidence for that whatsoever, but that somehow we're all going to be 33, just magically made uh, 33. And I don't know what those resurrected bodies will be like. They won't get tired. They won't have disease. They won't wear down. There won't be mental illness. There won't be cancer, right? And this is our hope when we are going through things. The apostle Paul says, if you live, if you're alive, Paul says, live to the Lord. So if you are alive, live fully human, Right? Give honor and glory to God in all things. Eat good food. Enjoy good company. Nap as often as you can because it won't be there in heaven. Right? You won't need it in heaven. Right? So take as many naps as you need. Be fully human. Serve and love and engage. He says, but if you die, understand you die to the Lord. And that this is not the, this is not the end of all things. This is the beginning of all things. And, and that we will die to the Lord and we will go to a place where there is no more death or mourning or sorrow or pain. I love what the Bible says. That is the old order of things. The new order of things have none of that. And so he says, whether you live or die, do it to the Lord. And so that is my message to you this morning is live well. While you are alive, live well. Love your kids. Love your family. Love your church family. Love and serve your neighbors. Live well. But understand, there is a hope that is coming. That this is not the final chapter. This is not the final chapter. That we are going to experience a resurrected hope like no other that we will celebrate even more next week. And so this is the image of the bread. That Jesus is our example of how to live. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our salvation. Bread is the dominant. You can hear the sound of the wafer being cracked. Jesus saying, I'm your hope. I am your hope. I am your salvation. I am your example. So we are going to receive communion together right now. And today in particular, we're gonna have, there's two cups stacked on top of each other when they pass it out. Um, one has the juice, 
representing Jesus' blood, and the other has a little wafer, a little piece of bread, representing his body. And today, I want to have us, uh, give us an opportunity during communion to do three things between us and the Lord. One is self-reflection. Am I, to the best of my ability, living life like Jesus? Am I living life like Jesus? Am I loving and serving others? Am I fully engaged in my relationships? Am I, am I, am I living life to the best of my ability? Or am I giving into temptation? Am I giving into sin? Am I just living, is there some area of my life where Jesus would say, no, I have more in store for you than that. Live a, a different and better life. So am I living life well? Am I living life like Jesus? The second thing I want us to do is celebration. So self-reflection, celebration, to thank Jesus for his indescribable gift that he broke his body and he went to that cross so that I don't have to worry about death. That the the life I am living now in Christ will continue on in perfection for all of eternity, but my eternal life starts now. So this is an opportunity for us to celebrate that and to thank Jesus for that. And then the last thing is hope to thank Jesus for his hope that this is not the end of all things. This is the beginning of all things. When you put your life in Christ, your eternal life, like I said, it starts now and we live forever. That just totally changed my view um, of living and of death. It's like, no, I'm living eternal life right now. So I wanna love well. I wanna serve well. I wanna be fully engaged now because my eternal life has already started and someday it's just gonna continue right on in into a place of perfection. Right now there's challenges with it, right? The old order of things is still here, right? So right now we do still have some cancer battles. We do still have mental illness battles. We do still have these battles now, but I still am called to live life to the best of my ability and then someday Jesus will come and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So we celebrate that hope this morning. Let me pray, and then we're gonna pass communion, and you can uh, do those things, self-reflection, celebration, and hope, and then I'll come back up in just a minute, and we'll receive it together as a church family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that uh, his physical body was our example. His resurrected body is our hope. And so right now, we just wanna enter into a time of self-reflection, and celebration and hope for what Jesus came to do and what he accomplished. I pray that we would fully engage in life. We would love well. We would serve well. We would be like Jesus in this life to the best of our ability and that we would always have hope knowing that there is a day to come where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Death has been defeated. We thank you for that. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.